G'day, and thanks for joining us for this week's Two Ticks Town Talk, a segment of the Australia Talks podcast. I'm DK. And I'm RD. Please enjoy this segment from the regular podcast. This week, we're going overseas. We're going to an island. And this time, it's actually really far from the Australian mainland. We're going to the Cocos Keeling Islands. So, if you're listening and you're not driving, go grab a brew, a beer, or a rum, whatever takes your fancy, because this is a bit of a story, be a little bit of a longer one for our two text town talks. So, the islands are an Australian external territory. They're in the Indian Ocean off Western Australia. And they're comprised of a small archipelago approximately midway between Australia and Sri Lanka, relatively close to the Indonesian island of Sumatra. So, these are way out there. The territory actually has a dual name, as you probably picked up from the introduction. A Officially, since the island's incorporation into Australia in 1955, it's had both names combined together uh, to be the Cocos Keeling Islands, as this reflects that the islands have historically been known as either the Cocos Islands or the Keeling Islands. So Australia, very diplomatically, just smooshed it together. (laughs) Some basic geography... The islands consist primarily of two flat, low-lying coral atolls with an area of about 14 square kilometres, which is about five and a half square miles, 26 kilometres of coastline, and an elevation at the highest elevation of five metres above sea level. So (laughs) no mountains here. Uh, They're thickly covered with coconut palms and other thought vegetation it's roughly the main atoll is roughly a horseshoe shape with a number of smaller thin islands around the outside with a big yellow lagoon in the middle the climate is really pleasant moderated by southeast trade winds for most of the year in other words this place is paradise The archipelago was discovered in 1609 by Captain William Keeling of the East India Company on a return voyage from what is now called Indonesia. And of course, he named it after himself. We're we're seeing this is a common theme with these guys. Um, The islands were completely uninhabited. No humans had ever lived on the islands as far as we're aware. In... 1825, a Scottish merchant seaman called Captain John Clunnies Ross stopped briefly at the islands on a trip to India, nailing a Union Jack and planning to return and settle on the islands with his family in the future. Meanwhile, Meanwhile, a wealthy Englishman called Alexander Hare had similar plans and he hired a captain who coincidentally was Clunny's Ross's brother so the other <laughs> to bring him and a volunteer haram of 40 Malay women to the islands where he hoped to establish his private residence now Alexander Hare apparently was very wealthy uh, I'm not going to go too much into him but 
apparently, as it's quoted, uh, he could have afforded quite the estate in the UK uh, and lived very well for the rest of his life. So it sounds like he decided that he was going to live very well on these islands with a haram of 40 women uh, and just live out the rest of his life in paradise. Unfortunately, Clannies Ross returned two years later with his wife, children, and his mother-in-law and found that Hare had established on the island and was living with his private haram. He didn't like that. And a feud grew between the two. I actually thought I'd read this excerpt from Joshua Slocum's novel, Sailing Alone Around the World because this kind of sums it up quite nicely. On his previous visit, Ross had nailed the English Jack to a mast on Horsburgh Island, one of the group. After two years, shreds of it still fluttered in the wind, and his sailors, nothing loath, began at once the invasion of the new kingdom to take possession of it, woman and all. So things, things weren't going too well between the two. Uh, Hare attempted to persuade the sailors to leave him alone and actually sent over an offering of a pig on a spit and a bunch of rum. This did not persuade the sailors to stop at all. Um, and after some time, Hare's woman began deserting him uh, and instead finding themselves partners amongst Clunny Ross's sailors. Disheartened, Hare eventually left the island uh, and he died back in Indonesia in 1834. Though he, he actually did write a letter uh, to John before he left the island saying that uh, he, he felt that they should get along and he thought that giving them uh, pork and rum would settle them down and John replied, basically saying, are you stupid? Giving sailors <laughs> pork and rum is the opposite of what you should do if they want to, if you want them to calm down. Clannies <laughs> um, uh, Ross, he, he recruited a bunch of Malays to come to the island for work and for wives. And the workers were paid in a currency called the Coco's Rupee, a currency that he minted himself and that could only be redeemed in the company store. So for, for people that remember their history, this is basically indentured servitude. Um, on the 1st of April, 1836, HMS Beagle, under the Captain Robert Fitzroy, arrived to take the surroundings and to establish a profile of the atoll as part of a survey expedition of the Beagle. Now, Adit, do you know what the, the HMS Beagle is famous for? I, the the beagle does ring a bell as soon as you said that, and I have a feeling it was someone like Joseph Banks uh, or something took it on a, a an ex, expedition in Australia. Have I have I got that right? A bit more famous than Joseph Banks, it was the naturalist Charles Darwin who was oh, actually Darwin. Okay. He was aboard the ship at the time, and. Uh, he had developed a, a theory about how atolls had formed, which he later published uh, as the structure and distribution of coral reefs. And he studied the natural history of the islands and collected a number of specimens. So, mm. bit of a famous uh, interaction there. Yeah. 
The islands were formally annexed by the British Empire in 1857. This annexation was carried out by Captain Stephen Fremantle in command of the HMS Juno. The Fremantle claimed the islands for the British Empire and appointed Ross II, uh, our antagonist's son, as superintendent. The oh, islands so, were part... So it wouldn't, it wouldn't really have mattered which one of them... Uh, put claim to it when the British Empire came along. It was, so sorry, old chaps, this is ours now. Yeah. And uh, John Clunny's Ross, they all name their sons after themselves. So as you'll see, even to this day, it's still, it's this continual line of uh, of John's. Um, so the islands were, were made part of the Straits Settlement under the Order of Council in May 1903, but in 1886, Queen Victoria had, by indenture, granted the islands in perpetuity to John Clunnies Ross. The head of the family enjoyed a semi-official status as resident magistrate and government representative. Now, being the location where they are, of course... Very, very infamously, there were a couple of major global conflicts, uh, world wars, if you like, uh, that <laughs> happened not long after this. So what happened to these far-flung islands during the war? On November, on the morning of November 9th, 1914, the islands became the battle, the site of the Battle of Cocos, one of the first naval battles in World War I. A landing party from the German cruiser SMS Emden captured and disabled the wireless and cable communication station on Direction Island. Uh, but not before the station was able to transmit a distress call. An Allied troop convoy was passing nearby, and the Australian cruiser HMAS Sydney was de detached from the convoy escort to investigate. The Sydney spotted the island and the Emden at 9 o'clock in the morning, and both ships prepared for combat. At 11.20, the heavily damaged Emden beached herself uh, on North Keeling Island. To be fair, the Emden didn't stand too much of a chance against the Sydney. <laughs> um, and the Australian warship broke to pursue Emden's support collier, which is like a refueling ship, basically, uh, which that ship scuttled itself as well. And then... The Sydney returned to North Keeling Island at about 4 p.m. And at that point, Emden's battle ensign was still flying. This is usually a sign that the ship intends to continue fighting. And after no response to instructions to lower the ensign, two salvos were shot into the beached cruiser, at which point the Germans lowered the flag and raised <laughs> a white sheet. When you know you beat, you beat. Yeah. The Sydney had orders to ascertain the status of the transmission station, but returned the next day to provide medical assistance to the Germans. So the wreck of the Emden, well, what's left of it is still there. During World War II, not a lot super uh, interesting happened. Uh, there was definitely some fears that the Germans may come back again. However, uh, the Obviously, once Japan entered the war, um, the fear that the Japanese would would uh, come ashore, but they didn't, uh, surprisingly. That's basically all of World War Two. Not much happened. Uh, on the 23rd of November 1955, the islands were actually officially, officially transferred from the United Kingdom to the Commonwealth of Australia. Immediately before the transfer, when was the that, islands. Did you say? Sorry. Uh, 23rd of November 1955. 55, okay. 
The islands were transferred uh, immediately before the transfer. The islands were part of the United Kingdom's colony of Singapore in accordance with the Straits Settlement Act 1946. In the 1970s, the Australian government's dissatisfaction with the Clary's Ross feudal style of rule on the island uh, was to be abolished. And in 19... 78, Australia forced the family to sell the islands for the sum of $6,250,000 using the threat of compulsory acquisition. By agreement, the family retained ownership over their large house, which was called Oceania House, uh, which was their family home on the island. And in 1983, the Australian government reneged on the agreement and told John Clarence Ross that he would have to leave the islands altogether. The following oh, year, the High wow. Court, of, yeah. The following year, the High Court of Australia ruled that the resumption of Oceana House was unlawful. But the Australian government ordered that no government business was to be granted to Clarence Ross's shipping cost company, an action that would con- contribute to his bankruptcy. John Clunnies Ross later moved to Perth, Western Australia. However, some members of the family still live on the Cocos Keeling Islands. So oh. the Cocos Keeling Islands really is the tale of the Clunny Ross's family. Um, if you want to go there today, you can fly from Perth on Virgin Australia. I had a look at the tickets. They're not cheap. It's about two and a half grand wow. to get there. Um, I wasn't sure if that was a return flight. I hope it was a return flight, um, oh. but it, but it is it is pretty expensive just because there's no one uh, there's, well there's no competition at all, and they are uh, as I said it, very remote. They're, they're further out uh, than than Christmas Island is. So uh, they're administered by the same governor that administers uh, Christmas Island, um, and yeah, it's pretty chill out there. Not a lot happens. So They've had a lot of crazy history, but is there a res- cool. resort or anything there? Like, uh, why would you go there? Basically, because it's an island paradise. So yes, right. there are. I think it's more like small cottages. Tourism isn't isn't huge. Um, you know, the, the tourism industry there isn't massive, just yeah. because it is so remote. Um, but there are there are like little cottages and things like that. Um, I didn't see like a full blown resort, but I might. I might be wrong. Um, interestingly, in 2018, the uh, the Malay people, the descendants from the original uh, Malay uh, people that were brought over uh, for work oh, yeah, and yeah. things, are actually seeking to be recognised as, as indigenous to the islands. So. I couldn't find a follow-up of where that went or how that was going. Um, I don't know what the Australian government's sort of like line in the sand for that sort of stuff is because a lot of these families, you know, can can claim that they've gone back well over well over a hundred years, um, some some one hundred and fifty or longer. So I'm not really sure exactly how that how that's worked out, but it does feel like a a uniquely different part of Australia. It's very heavily got an Indonesian and Malay feel to a lot of the places and a lot of the names as a result. So Well in fact wouldn't you if you if you did grant that you'd have to um same thing to Clooney's Ross people because correct me if I'm wrong, but you said at the beginning that there was no one 
inhabiting the island. Exactly. Exactly. You would. Yeah. And they're obviously Scottish descendants, uh, descend from, from the Scots. So, yep. The, and this is why I, yeah. I, I don't know where, how, how this is, like I said, I couldn't find a, a, a source on exactly how this was ending up, but um, it would be quite an interesting and I think politically difficult thing to to agree to for, for a number of reasons. I think it would set a, yeah. a precedent that they don't necessarily want to do, but it does look like a really beautiful place. And I'd love to go there one day, but I don't know if that'll happen. Yeah, look, I went on to, to Google Maps when you said that just to get a bit of um, perspective and did the, the zoom in on the satellite. And yes, it did on the satellite version of the map. And yeah, it does look... Uh, it does look very idyllic with all those those beaches and um, you know a bit of greenery and that. Yeah, you know, I did look at it and I sort of thought, I wonder. Um, I don't know. I, I suppose I'll, I wonder really what you would do there because they're not exactly huge. Did you no. have the like from what I can see with a rough thing on Google, they can't be more than ten by ten kilometers. Yep. Yep. You they're know. long, thin. Islands. I, I think that's a yeah. Just... That, the, yeah, that's islands with with within that. But sorry, that that group together doesn't look like it cover more than oh. you know ten by ten. No, it's it's about uh, what did I say here? I think it's widest point. It's it's just under twelve kilometers. Okay. Uh, sort of wide by uh, what does it say? Just over sixteen. Okay. So yeah, it is. It is yeah, very small. Um, like I said, it's sort of horseshoe shaped. Um, and then the islands, of course, themselves are a lot thinner, and they're sort of on the only outskirts of the atoll. So um, not a lot to do. I think. I think the things to do are get in the water, fishing, diving, um, and just sort of embracing the the, the basic island lifestyle it, it very much yeah, reminds me yeah. I've, I've been to a lot of uh the south pacific islands and things like that in the past and it reminds me very much of, of quite a lot of these places um where it's just island lifestyle there's not a huge amount to do but that's kind of the appeal if you know what i mean um, yeah. you don't necessarily yeah, do. want to do a lot so no just nice and nice and simple and if you put yourself in that um situation where there's not you know high levels of stimulation and whole lot of touristy things then you're really just there to enjoy that simplicity yep somewhere i'd like to go but yeah oh that's 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 interesting i didn't didn't know that history didn't know that they uh the government had shafted Clooney's Ross. I'd love to. I wonder what the real story is there. I, 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 you, you said something like they didn't like this, how he was governing it, but typically when you have one um, one government criticizing another government, there's usually something on going on behind the scenes. So I wonder if they pissed off the wrong person. Yeah, because I couldn't find too much about exactly what um, what he'd done. Uh, other than that, he was ruling basically the islands like a king, and they were just like, nah, enough of this. So I feel like there was some friction between 
um, basically a family that has essentially run the islands like a small kingdom for many generations. Uh, and then, of course, you know, post-colonial era, all that kind of stuff. The government is deciding that it's going to shake things up. And I can see there's probably a lot of friction there. And as a result... Um, I feel like as well, you know, if you've got a patent from the Queen, uh, when did I say it was? 1886, uh, that had granted the islands in perpetuity. Yep. You know, and then the, the federal government goes, nah, and you're like, well, I've got this. I've got this piece of paper. I can see why there'd be a lot of friction there. And at the end of the day, the Australian government... Uh, can force its way on on a small island family of I I don't know how many there were, but I can't imagine it'd be more than say a couple of dozen at most. So yeah. you know, you just send one warship to do it up, and it's kind of like it's all over, you know. Well, look, that's that's right. And at the at the end of the day, uh, like the the mafia, if the government wants to take your uh, business or your property, they will. So much you can do I suppose it just at least. I suppose at least the the mafia is open about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's very interesting. I didn't know didn't know any of that. And when you you started off, um, say I did, deliberately didn't look at the uh, the sources in the notes that you you sent through to me because I that's good to have it as a bit of a surprise. But when you started off, Cocos Keeling Island, I thought, yeah. I wonder where this is going to go because I didn't know anything about it. Yeah, it was interesting. <laughs>